About 20 years ago, most people would have been unfamiliar with the term crowdfunding. Now, when it comes to the arts, you can crowdfund anything from comic books to Mystery Science Theater 3000 to musical compositions. What it takes to successfully crowdfund a rock music project is a focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me are regular panelists, John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, and Richard Campbell, Professor Emeritus in Media, Journalism, and Film. Our guests today are Moinak Badori, Dominique Halton, and Piamu Liu. Badori and Liu are assistant professors of mathematical sciences at Bentley University. Badori develops algorithms that check whether drastic deviations have fractured the way a point process evolves over space or time, while Liu's research interests include lifetime data analysis, joint dynamic modeling, business and music analytics, and statistical questions arising from interdisciplinary research. Houghton is a professor of mathematical sciences and global studies at Bentley and affiliated researcher at the University of Paris. Her research interests include applied statistics, business global and music analytics, data mining, and model selection. The three recently co-authored with three others an article for Chance Magazine where they discuss research they conducted into what makes a successful rock music Kickstarter campaign. Thank you all for being here today. Uh, okay, I, I just got to I got to know. How, how did you get interested in analyzing Kickstarter music campaigns? What, what led to this, this research project? Well, you know, I was teaching advanced analytics to PhD students at Bentley, and I came across, you know, I'm a music student, so I, I, I stay on, in touch with what's going on with music. And it so happened that, and I had heard of Kickstarter, a person by the name of David Teye, he's a, he's a composer and a cellist. He wrote music for cats that he said somehow was working better on his cats than music not for cats, like Mozart, you know. So um, <laughs> he, he was hoping to raise $10,000 on Kickstarter. And the next thing we knew, he got $240,000 or so. Dollars. Somehow I thought that was interesting. I ran that by the PhD student. They got, they got excited about what is, really, what is driving success. Now, success at Kickstarter means that you're able to raise what you said you would in the time that you said you would. And he raised more than, you know, a lot more than what he said. So, um, so we got interested in that. And, you know, one thing led to another. We, got the, we thought, well, what are the features that make these projects be successful or not? Began to look at the literature and everything. And then somebody, one of my PhD students, stayed, you know, with a few drinks, somehow extracted the sound, the sound <laughs> files, you know, to try to get that, try, try to get that working from Econest. So we ended up with a data set and it ended up being rock, you know, rock uh -huh. music Kickstarter project. So with that, I, I might be able to get colleagues to talk a little bit about how they got involved, because I mean, originally it was a PhD project, but then we've turned it into a research project, which uh, we've published. Well, the thing that attracted me to this project was the way you can extend, the way you can transcend mere music. Um, if you're interested in something that is not exactly music per se, but something that plays on human emotion in a way similar to what music does, let's say writing, for instance, then you can apply very similar principles. You can say, okay, this is a given text. This is a given corpus. You can find out features within that corpus that tells you 
that could potentially uh, dictate the success, the commercial success, or you can do something similar to what we have done here. Maybe the rate at which you use prepositions or the uh, length of the sentences, how you vary those lengths to say whether uh, maybe somebody is a menace to society, like the posts that this person is generating on Facebook, for instance. So it doesn't have to be all about music all the time. It can be extended to other ideas too, if it's similar to music in some way. For me, it's really simple. I, I think see that it's going to be a very wonderful story. Um, now the, as a statistician, I always look for opportunities to uh, build models and derive insight from data sets. Now here we have a clearly well-defined research question. How do we predict project success on a data set collected on Kickstarter? And we have preliminary work done deriving the features. And uh, uh, so it's about building predictive models. So I'm all in and I'm a huge fan of uh, classical music or I listen to all kinds of music when I'm not when I'm not doing statistics. So um, yeah, so this is something I was very interested in doing. So what did what did you find? What 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 did you learn from this? What what should the average person take away from from your study? Well, yeah, there are there are several things about you know there are several takeaways. One is um, there there really are two types of attributes that are going to lead you to success, right? Mm -hmm. Although you know causality is maybe in question here, but the point is there are things like how long your title is, how long your description is, but also how mm. much money you're asking for. You know, if you ask mm -hmm. for a lot of money, it's harder to get funded. Um, it turns out that the amount per backer you, that you're able to raise is, um, is important. There are things like that. The duration of your project, like I, do you say I'm going to raise money in 30 days or am I going to raise money in, you know, in two months? That's, that would be the duration. So that's one class of of things that are going to help predict whether you're successful. But we thought that that's not the entire story. There, there is in, um, in music a way that you can extract from the audio signals things like how happy the, the, the music makes you feel, mm -hmm. things like how fast is it going, how much energy there is in there. But I'll tell you what the kicker is. The key, you know how this music, that some of it is in C major, in F major, and, and, and. well, turns out that way back when in the 19th century, there's somebody wrote, um, you know, it's all affective musical key characteristics. There are some keys that affect people better than others. Oh. Like mm. I can tell you G minor is not a hot, you know. No. So, <laughs> so the thing of it is, uh, there's even one guy who wrote an entire dissertation on this whole issue. So it, it ended up that we thought, okay, there are two classes of attributes. One mm. that's out of the audio sample and one that's more like, you know, how you run your project. And those are going to go together and maybe they will interact. So we had all these things at our disposal. We used data mining to try to see how they combined. And so I mean, takeaway is, you know, how much you're asking for, how, how much each, on average, each backer is willing to give you, and the key, and how happy your, your piece is, you know, sounding, your music audio, and things like that. Is that making, I'm hope, hoping that makes sense. It it does. Although I, I I'm still thinking now about music for dogs. I, I can't. I, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There has. Yeah. I'm starting to think about what else would be. For, you know. Is we're is we're thinking about the animal kingdom. But let, I want to follow up on the point that you just raised about kind of understanding these music, sort of the music clips. So when someone was starting a a, a Kickstarter campaign for for mm -hmm. rock rock music, they would put forward uh, some some sound snippets that they put forward. And about how long were each of those the sound bites? It varied. You know, t sometimes it's a few minutes. 
Oh, okay. So, they, you know, but but we extracted the sound, and sometimes it's videos. In oh, a lot okay. of cases, it's videos, and we extracted the audio out of the videos. Then pushed pushed all that into Econest. Okay. Which has been bought by Spotify, but you know. Oh, okay. So I was just curious. I mean, I, I was looking at your, your list of the predictors. I mean, you, you commented on keys, and then you also mentioned this idea of the, the valence, the musical positiveness conveyed by a track. Some of these other characteristics, um, you know, the loudness, energy, time signature, um, uh, acousticness, and so in tempo and so on. Uh, those were all other things. So was this automatically extracted for these these audio uh, these audio tracks that you had? I mean, automatically is a strong word. My post. I mean, Joe Derry spent several nights and a few drinks extracting that with a Python wrapper and all of that. Oh, of, okay. You know, using Econest. I mean, Econest was really good at okay. giving you these um, extracting those features, and you can still do that with Spotify now, but it has to be. A piece of music that's on their catalog now, oh. you know, whereas with Econest, you could actually upload the stuff and, and okay. extract those features. But, you know, it was automatic in a way. It's quite technical. It comes out of the acoustic properties and the, you know, the frequencies and things. And valence, uh, the, the sense of happiness you're talking about, that's something that was created by a model. Oh. Uh, you, you know, there's a survey that was made at some point asking people how happy do you feel? And then it was done... Uh, it with, with, with the linear regression model, to tell you the truth, nothing fancy, and I think you can do better than that, actually. But anyhow, let me, uh, you know, pass that on a little bit to uh, Moinac and Pierre Mou. They might tell you a bit more about, you know, how this data um, ended up working out. Let me let me ask let me ask them this question then. So, what what was the biggest challenge in doing this? There were six of you involved, and what did you fight about? What did you argue about? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. <laughs> we really didn't fight about too much. We, we were very collegial. That's right. You were, you were, you were, yeah, drinking, unlike this I program. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, probably, uh, maybe with some graphics, we, uh, it was a little minor, right? Right. So I think, uh, from the, uh, modeling perspective, I think one of the biggest challenges is we're looking at a, we settled on a black box type of uh, machine learning tool, and there's a lot of parameter tuning going on. So we spent a lot of time looking at the different combination parameters and deciding on the uh, deciding on the, the the final model. And stochastic gradient boosting, there's also stochastic aspect and to it. Um, the sample infraction, so we tried different values. Um, so that's that that's exciting, and also it, it takes a, it took a while uh, to complete, and then. Um, this, the, the project itself is, is very uh, interesting. And then so after we are able to um, obtain results from, from, from modeling, and I think the challenge is how do we piece everything together to make a good story um, to either our colleague and also the general public. I think that part, writing for chance, uh, was, 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 was different from um, submitting to a research type of journal, definitely. So I, I've got a Think about one of my, my my audience members. My dad listens to sometimes to our podcast. And so I'm, I'm going to say, okay, here's your challenge. Help my dad understand what a tree-based model is. Can you help him understand? That? So so could you describe in sort of, in you know, kind of informal terms how a classification tree might work? Sure. So you basically start with a given set of uh, observations and then you uh, uh, use uh, a set of decision rules. 
So help help me there. Help me out. Say, tell me more about what a decision rule is. So I'm going to Richard. I'm channeling you. Yeah, but, thank uh, you. Uh, I appreciate. It. So so you know, so what do you mean by a decision rule? Give me an example. Like I'm I'm looking at your paper and I'm looking at the, you had this this nice figure three. Yes. Yes. So maybe maybe just if you could just talk about I'm, I know what a tree is. I mean, you got these split right. things here. So can you talk a little bit about that? It's very similar. So just as the tree works in nature, you have these branches. So imagine one branch is an outcome of a decision. A decision could be something like, okay, if you flip a coin and if you get a head, then you uh, will have $20 or something like that. If you have a tail, then you will not have that thing uh, with you. So that is in some way, some decision based on the flip of a coin, based on some action. So here for more complex problems, for problems that are far more realistic, that decision might come from an understanding of different variables, variables that help you do whatever you're interested in, classify, for instance. So if I say that, okay, based on the data set we have, um, maybe the energy or the total amount of balance that this project has is a crucial decider, then that is playing the role of that coin flip, that role of that coin toss. So based on that, the amount, whether you have balance uh, in excess of a given threshold, you take the right branch or the left branch. So that settles the first level of classification, the first level of breakup. And then you keep doing this over and over again for a few steps, and then you ultimately reach some decisions, some end product, the end verdict as if, which, which class do you belong to, if it's a classification tree. So you basically follow a set of sequential rules. You basically toss a flip of coins. One little thing to perhaps add for you, Dad, is to when you start with the data set, we've got something mm. like, I think it's 68%. Mm successful projects. But the point is, you have the successful project mixed up with the non-successful project. And what you want to do is find those variables that put all the successful on one side and all the non-successful on the other side. And I mean, the, the, the algorithm that everybody loves is, you know, it's called CART and it's not like CART in the supermarket, you know, it's classification and regression trees. But it found that the most, the, the most, I don't want to say significant, but the variable that did the best job about putting the successful on one side and the non-successful on the other side is whether the amount per backer is on average less than 25 or is it at least 25 bucks, right? Uh -huh. and, it, and, and then, so it, of all the possible splits that it can do with all the variables and everything, including the keys, the balance, the amount per backer, etc., it tries all those possible variables and all possible splits. Like it tried 25, it tried $30, it tried whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it finds that split that will give you the most homogeneous, meaning all the successes on one side, all the failures on the other side. And then it keeps going. And that's how what Moynak was saying, by the, the, the time you get to the to one of those terminal nodes, you look at the majority, you look at that, that node, and hopefully it's pure enough if, you've, if the tree has done a good job. And you can say that entire node is going to be predicted as a failure if, it, if a majority is a failure. So basically, you're looking for homogeneity. I'm just going to add on to what my colleagues have uh, mentioned. So um, tree models, uh, you can consider tree models. It looks like uh, the way we present the outcome of the model is like a, like a tree upside down, an uh, upside down tree. And um, it basically is a set of rules. So what the tree does, um, given the data set, it divides the data set into non-overlapping groups. Now each group um, is described by a set of rules and the, the rule is described as uh, if-then statement. So if, um, if we look at the figure three in our paper, uh, that tree has 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven terminal nodes. That means um, the tree model divides the data set into seven non-overlapping parts. And each part is, associate, is associated with a specific uh, set of rules. So let's just pick the rightmost branch. So the branch that's described, uh, the, the leftmost branch. Um, so this rule basically says, well, if amount per backer is greater than equal to 25, and the key is not in the set of A sharp, B, C, C sharp, E, F, F sharp, G, and G, uh, G sharp, and the project success data is, is predicted to be success. So it's an if-then statement to describe uh, how we predict the observations. So, um, yeah, and it looks like a tree. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking about crowdfunding with Bentley University's Moinak Paduri, Dominic Halton, and Piamu Liu. I wonder for the three of you, what was the most interesting or the most surprising thing that you found when you were doing this work? Oh, I would say the interaction. I'm not sure about the rest, but mm-hmm. the fact that you cannot just shut your eyes and choose one factor as the predominant cause and say that that is the uniform winner all the time. You have to be conscious of the rest, how it interacts with the, with the others too. Like how much how much do you charge? Your total goal uh, will have to be in relation to the key that you're writing it in. That's right. That to me was, that, that really was, you know, if you look at figure eight, one of the figures, I mean, the fact that the impact yeah. of the amount per backer, you know, on your likelihood of success depends on the key that, yeah. you, that your sample is in. I find that pretty interesting. Now, this isn't to say that, you know, let's see, figure out which key, let me, I'm quickly looking at which key is likely to be the most successful. Well, it looks like it's, uh, you know, yeah, I think E major. Okay, so you start writing in E major. I'm not saying that that's, that guarantees that you're going to be funded. But what I think is really interesting is you, interesting is you have these variables, you know, the impact of one variable depends on another variable. That's an interaction. And there's lots of interactions in statistics in general, and many people miss the interactions. So that's why I'm a fan of these models. Uh, trees are very good at identifying interactions. And then, uh, thanks to Pierre thanks to what you, you guys have said, we now know what we've done is we've split the data into, I think she said seven. It's seven non-overlapping subspaces, and that may make you realize that a decision tree is actually a step function because I have seven different estimated probabilities of success depending on how these rules, you know, which terminal node they lead to. Now, the thing is this, if a s- decision tree is a step function, then I can add them together, right? I can add step functions. And the model that we actually used is an improvement mm-hmm. over decision trees. It's sort of, a, you know, instead of being just one decision tree, it's adding a bunch of decision trees together to reduce, you know, to reduce the error rate. So each time you add another tree, you build a tree, you take the sort of residuals from that, you build another tree, you add it to it, and so now you have sort of like a, a sum of different trees, and that does a fantastically good job at identifying interactions and nonlinearities. Mm. So that's what was cool, I thought, you know. I mean, we find that cool, you know, we're statisticians, you know what I mean. <laughs> you are. So, so I'm the qualitative guy here, and I- and I was interested in your discussion. You talk about some qualitative questions that came up and what might benefit you know, future studies of this. One of the things I know about fundraising, for instance, if you have a complicated problem like homelessness or domestic abuse and you're trying to raise money for these things, 
you don't start out with the data and overwhelm people with all the numbers, right? You start out with a story. You tell a story of a family. You tell a story of a homeless person. So one of the things that I wanted to ask about were, were, were lyrics considered in this? I mean, I always sort of divide the world into those of us that hear melody and those of us who hear the words. And I'm assuming most of these things started with a story. Many of them did. And uh, I don't know if you accounted for that or is that something that, that maybe a qualitative person would bring to the table? Well, not just a qualitative person, but Moynak who's very keen on text analysis. We didn't, but Moinak, wouldn't you love to do that? I would, totally, absolutely. But I think speechiness was one of the variables which got kicked oh, out. Okay. Got kicked uh, out. So uh, why did you do that? But speech, speechiness, speechiness was not uh, studying the lyrics. It was what amount of speech was there. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. see. But we didn't yeah. study the lyrics. In other words, we didn't extract themes out of the lyrics and use that in the okay. modeling, which you could do, and that would be yes. really interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, sort of a somewhat related. I'm I'm curious about the the relevance of this result for like other genres mm. of music. Mm. Do you have any sense of this, or is that kind of future work to to think about some of this? Definitely future work. I I, I would say, and um, yeah. I think also the fact that key as a feature is one mm. of the most informative about predicting the project success. Um, I think it's reasonable to think that maybe in a different genre of music, key would also be amongst oh. the, one of the most informative uh, ones. And that's backed up by psychological research. I mean, you know, it turns out there is published work on the, you know, effective musical key characteristics. I mean, that's, that's, mm. um, somehow that's known. It's really quite mm. interesting. Now, it sort of makes sense if you think about it, because these keys, it, it, it's different frequencies. And different frequencies affect us in different ways. That's, you know, I mean, it's all physics. I had um, a professor who was teaching, you know, sound recording technology. He said, you reinvent physics each time you create a mix. And mm. I'm authorized to quote him. I mean, it really, <laughs> I, you know, you've, you've no idea. All of a sudden, it sounds like the person is here. And in fact, they're there. And it's, you, you know, mm. so that, that frequencies affect us differently. Y different frequencies affect us differently that I can easily believe you. Mm. So if someone wants to f crowdfund for a project that is in a minor key, how much should they ask for to get funded? <laughs> That's, well, these are the sort of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some minor keys are doing pretty well, though. You know, it's not like it's all major and... Because and, 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 um, remember, you, you, you act, you're controlling for valence, so some of the minor keys are doing, you know... If you look at even figure one, where we don't account for other variables, you sort of see that the uh, proportion of success is relatively high for some of the minor ones. We can put him into our model and see um, what the predicted outcome is. It's only a prediction. <laughs> yeah, try, dif try different goals, different you know, amount of money, and see which ones give you, you know, higher probability of success. I haven't tried it. I know what you're thinking. You should put it on Kickstarter and see how it works. <laughs> well, I, you know, and I'm curious if, if Kickstarter success, how that translates into to maybe later success mm. for the for mm. the, the these musicians. I mean, that would be sort of the next stage in right. some ways. About this is sort of just basically getting producing what they're you know maybe getting their they're pressing a disc or what the equivalent is now or the building the streamed collection. Right that yes. you would have, whether that ends up translating into some later success. Yeah, so nowadays, some people, they treat an entire rock band as some kind of a business venture, as some kind of a business model. Mm -hmm. 
and they're trying to see what would be the best way to maximize profits out of it. So what should the manager do? How should the scheduling be done and things like those? This could be a small portion of it, the kind of songs generating. And sometimes it just takes one song, yeah. that one song, to yeah. help um, a musician to, to, to move forward. Yeah. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. my take my takeaway from this is if I want to raise money for local journalism, which is what I what I like to do, I need to have music. <laughs> I need to use music in my in my ask, right? I, well, I would I would agree. I mean, there's there's even a thing called the calculus musical. Can you believe there are people mm. who wrote, you know, an entire musical to to help people learn calculus? I, if I was teaching calculus, I would use this. You know, it really is interesting. Like all the formulas and stuff like that. I mean, can you imagine the chain mm. rule? You know, <laughs> on, the chain rule on Broadway. I mean, it's like, this is, this is perfect. You know? <laughs> That's all the time we have for this episode today. <laughs> I do love that idea of calculus on Broadway. Um, <laughs> thank you all for being here so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> thank you for having us. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. 